Game time, shiznit. You're going in and I'm keeping watch. He saw the cash. Cut the tent, break a window. Second floor bedroom, wooden dresser, bottom drawer. Whoa. Anyone see us? No, we're good. Who you had it in you? Hey, run. Get back here! I'm very much in pandemic mode myself. I I feel like uh, I'm in like Tom Hanks in Castaway mode or whatever. Oh, dude, for sure. I, I have like a beard right now. I'm <laughs> on and off. I've like I grew it out and then I shaved it because it was just looking nuts. And then I'm growing it out again now. So it's like that halfway beard where it's like all itchy and stuff. <laughs> oh, good lord! Uh, I, I already just uh, screwed up uh, podcast one on one. I just put my headphones in i'm an idiot off to a great start um so did you did you hear from max is that your producer right oh yeah max yeah i i got it yeah max sent me a zoom link um yes. and said 3 p.m today was was cool for you guys um, yeah that, that's the last i have heard so me. no i was just gonna say the story of how this kind of came about i had read an, an article in our local paper the courier journal and it was about how this movie was being filmed here. And I was like, how did I not hear about this gritty crime film starring Rain Wilson, who I'm a big fan <laughs> of? And like just now hearing about this and not even a few days later, he emailed us just randomly and just said, hey, there's this movie that you guys should see. We'd like you to do an interview. And I was just like, what? What are the chances? Oh, my God. That's amazing. No, he did not tell me that story at all. That's really cool. Like, yeah, I had just learned about the movie and I was excited about checking it out. And then not a, a few days later, he, he, he found our podcast information. That is so funny. I, it's funny, too, because I've seen your I mean, I've listened to your guys' podcast before. Because I remember the, I think it was the Verhoeven. Did you guys do a Paul Verhoeven one? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I saw, like, I'm like, I'm kind of obsessed with him. Like, I saw, I saw him, I saw him once when he did a Q and A after Black Book, um, and it was it was pretty wild. I mean, he's like an eccentric guy for sure. That's awesome. I had no idea, dude. Yeah, we, we actually we've been on a little bit of a hiatus, but we've been kind of picking things back up just for interviews like this. So it was really cool to, we, we've been getting, of course, the way it would have it is that as soon as we stopped doing episodes, we started getting emails from all kinds of directors for interviews. And it's like, <laughs> okay, but no, this is great. Um, That's funny. Yeah. The time, yeah. Timing is always that way for me in life too. The timing is always like weirdly askew and everything. You know what? You just got to roll with the punches. Is it, by the way, before I introduce you, is it Macaulay? Macaulay? Yeah, M Macaulay. Like, like Macaulay Culkin. Listen, yeah. who's that? We don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, never heard of it. Um, okay. Uh, usually I do a, a little intro, but we're not doing that anymore. So let's just say welcome to the Horrible Podcast, um, where we got a, a really cool interview episode here, if you've been listening so far. Um, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing with... My brother, Corey. Corey, I don't know if you thought how funny it is that we're doing this as siblings. Oh, it, it definitely, I definitely thought about it. It came up. <laughs> yes. Two brothers from Louisville. It seems. Oh, yeah. Guys, I was seeing that, too. That when you said, I, that's funny. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, there's too many jumping off points here. So, really, I just want to get the introductions out of the way. Corey, you already said hi. That's my brother. Good guy. Hey, everybody. Yeah. yeah. And then we have uh, Alex McCauley here who wrote and directed Don't Tell a Soul, which again, too many jumping off points. Two brothers here talking about this movie, as well as it being filmed apparently in Louisville or in the Louisville area. Is that right, Alex? That is correct. We filmed it in Louisville and some of the, we were out in Valley Village uh, for some of the 
the stuff by uh, where you can see, I guess, a coal plant. See, okay, yeah. that was my one of my questions. Where, where's Valley Village exactly? Valley Village, you know, I'm not. I, it's funny is I actually went to um, high school in Dayton, Ohio, which is like ah. very close by. So like I knew some of those areas like in a sort of vague way, mm-hmm. but Valley Village is by the Ohio River. Um, and I believe that plant is on the other side of the river in Ohio. I, yes. Yeah. Okay. It was, it's either that or how, do you know how far it was from Louisville? I think it's about 40 minutes or so. Okay. The, I thought it was Southern Indiana. That would make way more sense. Cause Ohio is about, I want to say at least an hour and a half away, but there yeah. is, there's parts of Southern Indiana right across the river that look just like that. But this would be an easy Google. I just don't feel like doing it right now. We'll just go. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a crazy, like, I mean, it was a cool place to find because I was looking for something that had that kind of weird Amblin gone wrong aesthetic. For sure. um, so it's finding that neighborhood with the smoke sort of smokestacks billowing in the background. Made it yeah. Ominous. It's yeah. so striking that image. I feel like I should first say thank you for joining us for this interview. I didn't even say that. Yet. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> well, yeah. thank, you. thank you guys for having me on. Um, oh, no. I'm super excited about this. Um, I, we're we're going to get off on way too many tangents because there's too much stuff to discuss here. So I want to start off with the basic things. First off, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, there's probably going to be some spoilers discussed in this. So I would recommend that you pause it and watch the movie. Don't tell a soul and come yeah. back and listen um because there's, there's a twists lot. and turns and i i feel like we can bring those up Devin. yes there's no doubt about that and we will bring those up secondly right. that being said if you are the type that doesn't mind spoilers and you still want to listen to this episode and maybe check it out after that's fine i want to give a very basic premise uh what we have is two brothers here a pretty young one and a little bit of an older one in, in uh joey and matt correct and um essentially very uh, very general um they're caught stealing a lot of money by a supposed security guard who was played by Rain Wilson, and he goes by Hamby. And as they're running away through the woods, Hamby falls in this very large, very deep hole. And then it, of course, brings up this kind of moral dilemma of, okay, do we try to make sure this guy doesn't die down in this hole, or do we just take off because that dude saw us stealing a bunch of money? And the little brother is, is leaning towards, okay, we need to save this guy. He's a little more innocent, a little more sweet. And then you have the repre- reprehensible piece of shit older brother. Who's like, <laughs> Come on, Devin, I'm right here, buddy. Oh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> who's like, yeah, no, we, we're going to dip out because that guy saw us stealing. And that's kind of what we're presented here. So let's kick it off with a, a discussion about the premise. We're going to talk about siblings. We got to talk about Louisville and all that filming stuff, too. But as far as the premise, it's built around this hole. And I have a theory, and I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and, and, and go for it, that this hole was either found as a maybe somebody you know where you yourself played in an area with it with a hole like that as a kid and then when you grew up you were kind of like wow what an interesting thing that was and kind of thought of a plot around that or even as an adult like that seems like a hole that would literally exist near Louisville like I feel like that's something that I have probably have seen at, at some point in my life and you thought okay how crazy would it be if we built something around this um but that being said really I just want to know how did this premise come about yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right in that when I was in um, Dayton, Ohio, there is a place, I think it was called the Moraine Assembly Plant. It was like a car yes. factory that yes. had gone uh, gone under. And so kids and people would sneak in and around the remnants, you know, in the buildings. And yes. so indeed, there are all these stories, like some I think were urban legends. And, and right. I think there's truth to some of them, and people getting stuck or caught. It's kind of that the whole urban exploration idea. And I had also watched a documentary called The Mole People, which is really good. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah, it's like the 
the people living under the subway tunnels and yeah in in new york and in, in the late 90s and so i was saying like all those things kind of cohered into this idea where and of course there's like the canonical like simpsons thing or, or baby jessica getting trapped in a well i was like right yeah, be wild if someone um got stuck down there and was at the mercy of the people up above you know who could decide yeah um, and I thought there's something really fun about making it a moral dilemma where obviously, like you said, one brother is sort of innocent and sweet and the other one is um, has a little bit of a demonic nature. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's evil. <laughs> <laughs> I was like instantly struck by how the power dynamic shifts so obviously and dramatically, you know, it's just like. Well, suddenly someone's in a hole so, and someone's st standing above this. And, and I want to talk about that because yeah, yeah. The, the way I saw it uh, with especially Joey, the dynamic between Joey and Hamby is that it's like reverse Stockholm syndrome, right? Where the the hostage is, or rather the, uh, I guess the person holding the hostage is falling for the hostage. In a oh, bit, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Right. Because. Yeah, oh yeah. It's like that. You're absolutely right. Cause I, I, I really like the, first part of the movie the the crying game where there's yes um forrest whitaker's character is uh been um captured by the by the ira members and, yes. and weird symbiosis and friendship develops yes between him and i think it's steven ria steven ria um, right and it's great it's like this great bond um mm -hmm. and so yeah I, I always thought that too it's it's like hamby is incredibly manipulative he's so manipulative uh, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> so most of what he says you know, while I think ultimately they do develop a real bond, a lot of what he says, especially early on, is he's trying to work the angles and find ways to play on um, Joey's better nature to get what he wants. But yeah, I honestly think it's like a surrogate father thing where Joey is- yeah, Oh, for sure. sure. Yeah, Joey's at a loss. And so if anyone shows up and offers him some kind of, um, you know, an ear and a kind voice, he's going to open up to that person, but that might not be the best person. To well, and of course, when Hamby figured out that about his father, he, ch he, he jumped counts. on it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Corey, I wanted to direct a question towards you. Um, mm -hmm. This movie, I feel like could it almost plays like a stage play sometimes, and it could be a stage play, I feel like, in some regards. Um, and there's a lot of things that Alex is saying, Corey, that reminds me of you. And because Corey's, excuse me, is a writer in his own right. And he was talking about the areas where the kid, where they played as kids and these stories that came about. And I was thinking about the play that you wrote, Corey, where you talked about the dunes, quote unquote, which oh. is what we drove by as kids. And we would always see those big ass sand dunes going down River Road. Yeah, thought about oh, that's what funny. If, yeah. And then you kind of, you implemented that into a play that was about brothers. That was about kind of loosely based off of the, the, the dark underbelly of our our uh, brotherhood. <laughs> I mean, we we're certainly not at the level of Joey and Matt ever. You know, I but... hope we weren't at the level of what was in that play either. But it is true <laughs> that the brotherly relationship, and this was sort of in that that play too, but it certainly played up in in your film, Alex. Is this really interesting one that can produce the deepest and like um, kind of 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 love bond, but also can like flip a yes. switch to just like the 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 wildest rage and it doesn't seem to diminish the relationship often although mm. i would say in this movie it it it, it definitely if it is abuse like I mean, when he's hitting him in the, yes. in the face but like sure uh you know you use that quote at the beginning from was it jane austen oh yeah the one about um what strange creatures brothers are or yeah, yeah yeah and i i just 
um, I guess it's a question for you, Alex. Like, um, do you did you grow up with brothers or siblings right. at all? Because that relationship is 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 obviously sure. very well captured here. Well, thank you. No, well, this is interesting. No, I did not because I'm an only child. Interesting. But I, I had two good sort of models for this, which is a lot of this is based on my dad and his brother. Because mm. my dad, had, my dad had an older brother who is kind of more of a hellraiser right. um, type of personality. And it was just the two of them um, and was, was very domineering and always wanted to be the, the winner at every game and the successful one. And they would scrap and fight it out. Um, and he, he died relatively young, unfortunately. But I, I, I remember him when I was young and that, that kind of larger than life personality. My, my dad, unfortunately, was, was stuck being the younger nice mm. brother mm -hmm. um so i got to witness that dynamic and, and hear my dad talk about it mm -hmm. and so um and then on, on top of that too when i was young until my family moved to dayton i lived in texas outside of dallas and uh mm -hmm. it was it's a strange time but I, I remember being a kid and sort of running in terror um from the older kids in the neighborhood so yes. that, that fear like all the kids would just be sent out on the street to play you know this is back in like the late 80s. So um, I remember vividly, like me and my friends, you know, like the, the big kid, the, the archetypal bully would appear. Um, and that just gut wrenching terror of like someone <laughs> who's like older and bigger than you and meaner than you and just has it in for you. Um, so those are the kind of like the, the archetypes and ideas I was working with when I was, I was crafting the characters. Corey, this is just too funny. Uh, when he's talking about the archetypes and these kind of types, uh, types of people, I, this really does remind of uh, me of us growing up around where we grew up, you know, in lower Brownsboro with some of the characters that we, <laughs> that we both know that we won't name the names of growing up as kids. <laughs> I don't know if you got that vibe as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the neighborhoods yeah. were so well captured in in general and i didn't know if that was because the region was i mean it was filmed in louisville but there was something very specific about suburbs with like woods just on the fringes so you know that's let's get it right into that because this is set in louisville but i think when people think of louisville now of course in 2021 it's definitely a lot more uh you know, up and coming might not even be the right term. It's 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 a pretty well done uh, city at this point. But this certainly is. Uh, you can drive twenty minutes in any direction and come across an area like this. Yeah, where we see the yeah. setting. So yeah, why Louisville? I guess. Well, it was several things. First, I wanted an environment that was similar to where I had um, grown up, and of course, it's really like Dayton and Louisville. Sure commonalities for sure for sure and so and i had been to louisville and spent time there so i was familiar with it um and i knew it would give me that look and exactly as you said those neighborhoods that are sort of the outskirts of where suburban life meets right more of the wilderness yeah something i really love too there's something fairy like a dark fairy tale yes um, with that element to it and so and then the the other main reason is one of the i had two producers on this who were fantastic yes. one of them is um well actually three producers um, one of them is my friend, Chris Mangano, who was the one who um, sort of first read the script and liked it and thought we could make it. And one of the other producers, Mary Kay Poe, um, lives in Kentucky and is on the Kentucky Film Board. And no way. Sweet. And so she was like, um, once we started getting into the, the nitty gritty of it, she was like, you know, I think we could shoot this in um, Louisville and Kentucky. And then we actually shot the whole 
the, the, all, and a lot of the outside seems on some land that's next to their house that they own. So hmm. we had, um, it made so it convenient to shoot. So that. obviously that hole must have already existed, right? Well, well we actually, it's funny. We, there are actually two holes. So <laughs> one of them is, we got one, we actually dug out a hole to about six feet. No shit. Yeah. And it was like, that's the one that you know, people that you see when you see the outdoor scenes from okay. up top. That, and then, there are all these laws, it turns out, you know, about sticking people down right. in a hole. So right. <laughs> I hate when the government gets involved when I'm trying to stick somebody in a hole. <laughs> I know, right? It's the worst feeling. Um, but so we had a, our production designer, Nora Takage, who's amazing and worked on like all these larger films like Lost City of Z and some, oh, wow. some wow. big, big stuff. Um, and she, she's, from, she's from Hungary, I believe. And she was like an architect there and has is just this really smart... Um, production designer so our solutions we built a vertical hole that was like 20 feet high. oh that's interesting oh, yeah that's it was smart. really wild so it's like it's like above the ground and we put a camera platform up Whoa. top and then <laughs> so like they, we're we're sometimes up on this platform that has leaves on it with mm -hmm. a camera and the, the kids um jack dylan grazer and, and ben whitehead are up there right and then rain's at the bottom but he's just at ground level he would open a hatch <laughs> and like he had his tiny this tiny little door like a little pet that is the bottom. funniest loophole ever because uh, yeah, you still it, it, it still <laughs> seems pretty dangerous if you ask oh me. yeah <laughs> it, it was crazy for rain because we'd be like 20 feet or actually more above yeah. his head, and there'd be like a camera um, and all this heavy equipment, like, oh, drip, like literally hanging right over him. And so he was really about <laughs> it. Like, I think occasionally he got a little nervous because like if someone screwed up, that would be super painful for him. Um, but and the was, lights, I would guess, were hanging above him, too, because there's so much dramatic light on his face in some of those. Shots. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. We, they, they were definitely. And it got and of course, when we set this thing up. We were like, this is going to work perfectly. And then it started raining and snowing. Oh, never let up. So we would have to like pause and then we would have to, you know, start filming again as soon as the weather was there. And a lot of it was natural light too, you know. Well, I, I, I definitely caught that. I figured most of it was natural light, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like just to get that vibe and feeling that I always wanted it to be, to feel real. And uh, the DP, who is fantastic, um, named, this guy named Guillermo Garza, yeah a mexican dp and filmmaker um whose work i really like that means he's um, good because goddamn <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah he's he's like amazing and so he he sort of you know on the technical end would have great ideas about you know how to use the light or even the weather to our advantage mm -hmm. uh, that was really helpful in the process so yeah. were there any other uh, people on the production team who were from louisville any of the um camera i was curious about that too or um grips or anything yeah 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 oh, wait sorry can you repeat the question sorry guys I, just were there I, any uh people on the production team who are who are from louisville oh yeah but like i would say the bulk of i mean at least 60 percent or more oh, wow. people making it were I people thought, yeah from that area yeah and it was it was part of the fun of that too is kind of just going down there um, and just like, you know, sort of setting up shop and just saying, hey, we're making a movie. Let's uh, get people on board with this thing. And yeah. so, yeah, so a lot, of the, a lot of the people we worked with were from Louisville. And we had some people from um, Cincinnati come over too, you know. And so, um, but yeah, it was, very, it was a small core group of us who came out there. And then, of course, it grew um, bigger and bigger as, as things progressed. 
Yeah, I, I've seen that a lot. With uh, There's been a few films filmed around here that I've actually um, done interviews for or, or just reviewed. Uh, there's one called The Clove Hitch Killer. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. You know, I haven't seen that. I've heard about it. I heard it's good. It's I've, great. It, people told me to see this. I want to see it. Um, it's, it's another one set in Louisville, and it also has a lot of people that I actually know that were helping with production and even some extras and just some goofy little Easter eggs here and there where, where like my friend's ID is that her light, light driver's license was filmed in it. So, but it's a, it's a great movie. It really is. Speaking of Louisville Easter eggs, Devin, did you, I noticed a couple things that were very particular to, I, to Louisville. I, you know what? You I wish I, I wish I could say I, I noticed that, but yeah, what do you think? Okay. So yeah. the first thing I noticed was that the news that the mother's always watching was WDRB. I, I did notice that. <laughs> and, and in fact, I didn't know that this movie was, was, is it set in Louisville or just? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's amorphous. Like we never specify it. Okay. It's, it's somewhere in that sort of area. Where I, that's what I got yeah. from it. I thought it was like middle America, whatever. I also felt like as far as the, the setting that it was almost amorphous in terms of like what year kind of it was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I, I always love movies that have a sort of timeless. Like it follows or something like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like it follows even things like blue velvet where it's like, right. Like, some weird mixture of the 50s and the 80s and so i i was like yeah i always wanted it to feel very timeless and to not yes. have people be unable to pin it down to a specific year or a specific place it there was, are that's right yeah there's like a few signifiers in the film so we know um you know it, it, it's like i mean i think tech when i when i wrote this script i was sort of situating it in like the the early 2000s right um, i want i wanted to get around the idea you know everyone has a cell phone these days yeah so, yes <laughs> so i had to pick a time period that um you know where that could uh, be worked around and so yeah i i love movies like that i like i think it adds a really um a slight element of dislocation to it where we can't quite figure out where we are what's going on i mean it's creepy too it's like who knows what I mean, if it's present day i feel bad for it's this like tr- it's like trying to remember a dream or something yeah yeah very dreamlike just slightly surreal and yeah. there was another part where she was drinking an ale 8 one oh yeah are I you serious oh i, I don't remember that yeah ale 8 um which i remember from uh, ohio because it filtered in there um was i i actually love ale 8 and point, we got <laughs> we got it Deal. We got a deal with ALA. No way. That's yeah, they, they supplied us with um, basically as much ALA as we wanted. They just literally wheeled in like these crates of it, um, <laughs> you know, assuming that we featured it in some way, which we did prominently. And like I ended up drinking a lot of it myself. So I'd be on set, <laughs> just like it was everywhere. And it's I find it to be really good. You got to be careful. There's actually caffeine in that stuff. People don't realize. Oh, I know. Right? Get well, you wired. That's one of the reasons I liked it. So I was <laughs> sitting there and it was funny too, because it was like props in the scene, but then we were all drinking it in real life. It was like life imitated art for sure. So, but, I have a slight tangent based off what you just said, just okay. kind of an interesting little tidbit, but I just had a, a brief little interaction with Robert Cargill who wrote Sinister and oh, Doctor- yeah. yeah. And cause I, because I was, because Ethan Hawke's character is drinking a, a bunch of bourbon in this movie and it's and I'm dying. I'm like, what is this? What kind of bourbon is it? And I reached out to him and he told me basically the same thing. He said he reached out to a few different companies and Buffalo Trace hit him up and said, hey, we'll supply you guys with bourbon. You guys can you know drink it all you want as long as you just put it in the film. So he had a similar thing right like that. Oh, I love that. I wish I got bourbon. That would be, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very fun. different movie if the mother <laughs> yeah. was like, could you go get my bourbon every time she was looking for that soda? <laughs> yeah. 
See, that would have been interesting too, if that character had been drinking bourbon all day. <laughs> so yeah. we, we we mentioned um, Rain Wilson, and we got to talk about that. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Jack Dylan Grazer also was really phenomenal. He's a really really great Absolutely. actor as yeah. Yeah, in his own right. Um, obviously, he's uh, notable for being in uh, uh, It, um, which was one of my favorite uh, horror movies in the past few years. But first, Rain Wilson. I just got to ask. First off, how was he? kind of cast and and what was it like working with him well i i always wanted it's funny rain was like you know we had a list of a few actors when we first got this rolling like chris the producer and i did Mm -hmm. and uh, rain was always right up there because i loved as did chris this movie um the movie called super yes i I remember that yes yeah it's really dark i mean it's technically a comedy but it's super dark and he plays like essentially a wannabe um, superhero type who's deranged. Yes. He, he kills people for various reasons. And, and it, it's just really funny. It was James Gunn before, obviously, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh-huh. Um, and it's it's such a dark movie. And what I, what I remember seeing it and thinking like, oh my God, I didn't know Rain Wilson could be <laughs> that play such a fucked up role. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of stuck in my mind. And then, of course, I watched a fair amount of The Office over the years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there's a, there's like a real darkness to even that even Dwight, the iconic character. Like that's what's so funny about him. It's like, and so I was like, yeah, it'd be great to take someone that the public kind of knows and likes and seems affable, but there's also this weird dark side to them that I could really lean into partway through the movie, um, and and twist people's expectations. Yeah, and that's course- exactly the first thing I thought of for why you would cast someone like Rain, because it plays to the, the rhythm, the pacing of the movie perfectly. Yeah, he, se- he seems so hapless in the first Yeah, like, yeah. until it, he's not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it was it was he was so much fun to work with, too, because, you know, he's like a really great actor and has, has yes. been with a long time. So he could bring a gravitas to the role. And and of course, everyone loves him, too. The, the funny parts were, you know, it's like, we went and picked him up at, at the airport and it's like, he can't even walk. Through. Oh, I bet. It's like, he I can't, can't imagine. Like everyone's like, and I mean, people call him Dwight and they're really excited. He's like, Ugh. he's always really gracious with them. Cause he's I'm a sure. super nice person, but, th- but they get really excited and they want, you know, they basically want his attention cause they love him. Um, mm. But it was funny to see that. Um, and, you know, just, just see, uh, to me, that seems like a big burden to have to carry. But he did it. He did it well. And well, in my case, it's not so hard. I actually really love the attention. Uh, so. yeah. yeah, I could use a little bit. I take a percentage of the day. <laughs> and the money, I'm sure, was good. that's the good part. <laughs> well, it's the most, uh, The Office is apparently the most watched uh, show yeah. in 2020. So uh, he, yeah, like, I have heard that too. You know, yeah, and I, I put in my fair share during the, as, uh, as lockdown started for sure. I also really love, I, I believe it's, I don't know exactly how involved Rain Wilson is in it, but there's a new show on Netflix called We Are the Champions. I don't, he's certainly done the voiceover and he might be a oh, producer. I don't, know, I don't know that. I have not caught up with that. I have, um, I know he did that. Um, he was in that show Utopia. Yes. And then, um, he's, do, he's like a direct, he's directed um, stuff too. I think he's getting a, I think he's on a show that the, the Duplass brothers are doing as well. Oh, sweet. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, you can be forgiven to not realize. I think he has something absurd, like 70, 80, 90 acting credits. The dude is oh, nice. Yeah. He's like, well, it's, all, it's really funny to me, too, because 
knowing that um, one of the early credits is House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes, uh, hilarious. <laughs> he's so young in that too. It's really funny. Like, I mean, he's like, he still has a very youthful countenance back then. Um, and he's great. I mean, he's always, he's kind of always great. And so I thought this would be a fun way to, uh, to mess with people's heads. You know? like, yeah, Evan, I mean, did you guys do House of a Thousand Corpses yet on Horrible? You know, if we did, I don't think I was on that episode. We, we didn't do a lot of, I mean, we tried to, to not do as much Rob Zombie as we needed to, but, <laughs> but um, I, I, that's Rob Zombie, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, that's Rob Zombie. Yeah, I, I, don't, I really like The Devil's Rejects. That's my, I haven't seen all the Rob Zombies, but I remember liking the full-on Manson. So, yeah, there are some, there's uh, Lords of Salem was actually not bad. That, I remember doing that oh, one. I didn't catch that. I have not seen that one. Uh, we, we're not talking about Rob Zombie. <laughs> Okay. Let's, let's get back to it. Let's get back on track here. Okay, I do have a question then. So when uh, whenever a movie starts and there's just like a bunch of cash like like floating around in like a tin or like a mm. garbage bag and then somebody gets it, like I know I'm in for like a good old fiasco plot, you know. And I just love movies that start that way because yep, yep. I'm like, here we go. Like this is about to go off the rails. You know, a simple so plan is one that came to mind. I thought of a simple plan oh. so many times, especially because of the end. With well, I just a lot of the like gunplay in the forest and etc but i guess my question is well first of all i guess a simple plan but also just in general were there any other kind of like fiasco narratives right. that you were thinking about when when writing this script that you oh, like yeah i was yeah i love it when things i, I love those same kinds of movies too. yeah heist anything that's a heist yes. mm-hmm. where it goes wrong i mean a simple plan was definitely one that i watched a bunch and thought about and i always loved it I, again, the, the early Sam Raimi or sort of mid-period Sam Raimi right. aesthetic is really good and something where it's kind of still gritty and weird yep. and, and grimy. And the stuff in the symbol plan is amazing, like the guys and how that all plays out. Um, and so that was in, that was like a, a good um, point of reference for me. And like, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of other specific like heist, you know, things involving like money or things spiraling downwards. I think for me, I was mainly, th- oh, I guess I was looking at, I mean, this did, there's no direct correlation here, but I was looking at um, like Green Room, the movie. Oh, oh fuck yes. yeah, of course. There's no doubt. Yeah, which has that same feel of things going off the rails. For in a, sure. In a really dark way. And then also, I also love what they did with Patrick Stewart in there too. Yes. Like super unexpected role, at least when I first, the first time I saw that, I was not expecting what was coming. He's, he's absolutely terrifying. So, in that. Yeah, right. It's, he really is. And it's like, I feel like he's it really sort of rewrote my expectations of him in, in an exciting way. I just saw the darkness, too, of that. I mean, if things just get worse and worse and worse for, for this. Yeah, so, there's, there's always a point in movies like, like yours and also in Green Room and these other fiasco movies where uh, it, maybe it starts off in some, some archetypes you might kind of like um have some expectations for but then things just like change and change and then there's always a point like maybe 60 percent through the movie where you're just like i have no idea what's about that like anything could happen right now <laughs> like because so many t- like turns have happened and yes. i think for me in this particular movie it was the point when he was going back to the hole and decided like to kind of ally with uh with um mr Hamby to to kind of come back at the yeah. brother, I was like, wow. Like this, this, and from then on, I was like, pretty much this can go anywhere. So here we go. Oh yeah. I love that. Yeah. I was like writing things and, you know, making things that where the allegiances constantly shift, you know, so yes. we don't quite know 
we don't quite know at any point how it's going to play out. Cause I love being surprised as a viewer when I'm watching something and like, yeah. I like it when it's, uh, you know, the end of this film, um, you know, obviously has a bunch of twists piled on top of each other. And so I just wanted to take viewers on a really wild ride. Um, Cause I love things like that too, where I'm, or I think one thing's going to happen. I feel like I have a pretty good instinct for expecting or predicting what'll yeah. happen in the film. So, I'm always striving to out outdo that because like I hate it when I see a twist coming, you know, like, for sure. Yeah. That's like the worst. I'm like, oh, I just wasted my time here. But <laughs> it's fun to it's fun to try to think of what the obvious twists are and then try to beat them. You know. Yeah, I kind of want to emphasize that a little bit. Uh, when I first saw this, uh, the premise of this movie and uh, was kind of researching it, I thought it was going to be more of a, a siege narrative type. Um, mm-hmm. movie where we're just going to be in the hole and outside of the hole, which would have been cool in its own right. It would have been interesting. It's a very, you know, dialogue and character driven movie already. And I thought this is interesting. I've seen movies that are in, in very small areas, bottle episode type things like this that have really, really worked. But I think you can't overstate that this movie is not that. It, it, it just, it, it's really like, and I, I hate to use cliches here, but it's like, you know, a roller coaster ride. It's like you're, you're strapped in and you're just like, I don't know where we're headed and where we're headed next, but you just keep going on different twists and turns. And I think that that, that makes this movie stick out in, 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 from just, I guess, others more like it. It's, it's just, it's always going in different directions. And I, I like your explanation that, part of it's like okay i know what i would predict would happen if i was watching this and i'm going to make sure that's not the case with the, yes. with the, with the audience yeah oh I, yeah well thanks i mean that's that's always my intention and i feel like it's funny it's just funny too with things like i feel like you know when i first started writing it i was thinking like yeah maybe i maybe he will stay down at maybe rain wilson's character will stay in the hole the whole time but i was like oh it's almost funnier to make it seem like that's what we're yeah and then, yeah you know to put, turn it on his head you know um about about an hour of the way in um, the scene when he climbs out too has this kind of grim humor to it where it's like yeah we've, un- we've unleashed rain wilson into the into the <laughs> into nature here and like, here we go <laughs> i have a question about that actually this is when we're gonna get into more specific uh um spoiler territory but Oh, Again, I have some spoiler questions too. Sure. So yeah, I, I'm really just curious about the interaction as soon as he gets out. First off, my my thinking, or I guess my explanation to my own head is just this guy's a fucking sociopath or a psych, full-on psychopath. But when he gets out, first off, why does he why does he pull the gun on him? And why doesn't he shoot him? And then after that, why does he hand over the gun? What is going through Rain's head if if you if you were to explain to us? Well, I think I think I always feel like from pretty much the start of the movie, he knows he's a he's a doomed man. I mean, even if uh-huh. even if he doesn't get caught, he's definitely doomed morally for for what he's apparently done. And so I I always viewed it this way: like he, it's like yeah, if he sees an easy way to make a break for it, like if you can rob yep. the kid for the cash, he'll do it. Yes, um, I think I think he's formed a real bond on some level with yeah. with Joey. I always thought too, like. You know, maybe Joey takes has taken the place of his family, which are no longer, you know, so it's uh, it's they, they fill a void for each other. And but then I thought also think there's just a big mind fuck element to him where he always wants to have one up on on the person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. like he's showing off the gun. I, I think I mean, in some ways, too, it's like I was sort of toying with that idea. Does he want Joey to shoot him and just put him out of his misery? Mm. Like, does he know what's coming? And then I think, you know, near the end, he thinks he's gotten potentially gotten away with it but he's he's not all that surprised um to get caught 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I saw it as a power play, Devin. Like just being like, sure. Like he was powerless for so long. And as soon as he gets out, he just wants to like assert dominance because once he clearly has an understanding for how these like power dynamics work in the family when, when he, at yes. the end, when he like, you know, has him, has Joey yelling at Matt and then, you know, kicks him down into the, into the well. Um, I have another spoilery question, although oh, it's yeah. not even fully addressed in the film, but so we never like learn in detail exactly what went down with Randy and his family, which makes it even kind of spookier, right? Like obviously, you know, um, he killed them and he doesn't seem like particularly remorseful about it in some scenes and other times it seems to haunt him. And so I guess, not, you know, without asking the obvious question, like how do you see what happened with Randy and his family? My question is like, do you have an answer to that in your head as a writer? Or do you think about it more as just like leaving it open territory of exactly where this man came from and like the kind of violence of his past. Yeah, I want to, if I can just mention one thing based off your question, Corey, as a viewer for, I didn't know, I, I, again, I, it's not addressed specifically what might've happened as a viewer for me, I felt like whatever would have happened wasn't going to be the most nefarious thing ever. I thought that, it, yeah. Oh, oh, what do you mean? I, like the most nefarious thing that he's ever done? I, no, no, no. I know I'm saying I, I don't envision that he just in cold blood just shot. Okay. This, well, this is the question I'm wondering about yeah. from Alex is like, is, um, is this a like falling down situation where a family man just seems yes. to have snapped or is this right. like at one point I was like was this like a a protection thing gone wrong or like the idea that all these could be possible I think is sort of a testament sure. to the character and also Rain's acting ability so so to rephrase the question again to, to Alex like is that a, do you have an answer in your head that you, and you've intentionally kept it open or do you like, how do you think about that past yourself yeah, as the writer? That's a great question. For me, I've always loved the ambiguity of uh -huh. not, not sort of closing that answer for the audience. I mean, I can say one of the things that inspired me um, was, uh, you know, to, to write it was in the news and it, it continues like, yeah, there, there are these like real life falling down situations where um, there was one just like last year, I think right before the pandemic where, like a guy, you know, killed his like pregnant wife and his kids. Right. And then he was, uh, you know, got obviously pled guilty and escaped the death penalty, but is like in prison for the rest of his life. But there was like this really set date. There was an interview with him that I guess, or like a print interview that he had done and in, in which he said he, he still felt like a father. And like, he, I mean, he'd found oh, God. God. That's <laughs> gut wrenching. I know. It's so good. It's so good. And like he had found religion, you know, as, oh, of course. As, in such a time. And so he said, um, yeah, so he was, he was like, you know, I'm still a dad though. I'm so, and I was just saying like, wow, man, that's so crazy. Like I can't, <laughs> it's like that, um, you know, denial mechanism kicking in. Mm -hmm. But I, I also think it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, everything we see, um, Hamby do in the film certainly doesn't suggest that he would maybe even be capable of, of yeah. the violence that he's supposedly done. Um, and of course, who knows? Like I always did toy around with the idea. Yeah, maybe he hadn't done it. Maybe like, you know, he, he took on this burden for something else or something went wrong and, and there's a bigger picture we don't see. Um, there is a line, um, a very, uh, it's escaping me now, but there is some line he delivers that's like, well, you know, people say a lot of things or, or uh, oh, when, yeah. when he's he, in the well yeah that's right where joey's asking him questions and he's like the master of deflecting them right um, mm -hmm. and that's right and one thing i love with rain's performance is his cadence is so good you know it's like really it's kind of creepy but heartfelt and it's like 
he's just so good. It, it yeah. felt very real to me, like when we were doing it. And so he rain kind of went. And, oh yeah, yeah. I think the, I think the line is like where Joe. There's one line where Joey's asking him that he's telling him that he heard on the news that he's done. Yeah. All these mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Hamby goes, "Well, I probably didn't go down quite like they said." That's right. Yeah. Like it's like. And of course, that's always the case too. I mean, I feel like the news will say any almost anything at this point. Like we never really know what's true or not if it's packaged um, for us as entertainment. So um, I guess I, that line leaves it open to be either more or less heinous than. <laughs> yeah, exactly. right. Well, I think that's the whole idea is we never know which side to fall on with this guy. Like I think to the very, very end of the movie. I'm not sure if he's going to be fully redeemed or not. <laughs> like, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely right. The la- Yeah, the last words. Uh, yeah, the last thing he says. The last thing he says. It's so bizarre. It's oh, right I love after that he, part. Yeah, right that after, I mean, again, spoiler territory. Right after he does the most nefarious fucked up thing and kicking in Joey into the hole, he says, yeah. the last thing he says before he dies, before the movie ends is take care of those boys, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, don't don't let those boys down. And then she just blows, she, he barely gets his sentence out. She just blows. <laughs> <laughs> I always like that this idea too. You know, this is like the best he can do when he's trying to be that's like a father figure. You know, his best. Yes. Okay. Like so, his, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. No, no. It's like that school of hard knocks. Like, however he was raised. You know, he's. Just- that's exactly what I got from that moment. I thought I was pretty yeah. so interesting because in his head, this is how crazy he is. Is in, in his head, he was doing what the right thing. He has good intentions. Yeah. yeah. And there's also this element in the whole movie of just like almost like Darwinistic survival. Like, yeah, that came from the father, right? The, the line yeah. through, um, through Matt was like, uh, some people only respect the, the violent hand or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. Sure. Some, some people only understand a harsh hand. Yeah. yeah. That's but such I, a line, man. I, that's I, brutal. I feel like, uh, Hamby's character is almost like a fucking a wounded animal. It, it literally oh, starts right. out yeah, opportunistic. With, yeah, the first thing he was going to do was steal the money from those kids to survive, right? To get by. And oh, the next, yeah. and the next thing you know, he's stuck in a hole, just literally needing <laughs> to survive. It's it it very it was animalistic almost in nature with that character. Yeah, that's a that's a good point because I was saying that way too. Even, even when he gets out of the hole and he's all muddy mm-hmm. and scruffy. There's something like, yeah, he's like a wounded animal with his ankle and he's like, uh, he's at one with, you know, I wanted the color palette to always be kind of muted and brown and gray. Oh, for sure. He's sort of at one with nature at the end when he's like hobbling through the woods thinking he's going to escape potentially um, before me. Talk about direction, actually, now that you bring up some of these wonderful shots and decisions. So I know um, you, you primarily, well, I guess you can tell me like mo- most of your credits seem to be in writing. Um, and is this the first time you've taken um, a major hand behind, behind the camera, I assume, or as yeah, the director? This is my first film. As a, yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked on a lot of stuff and um, I wrote a movie called flower. It was sort of a super dark comedy with Zoe Deutsch and Adam cool. Scott and Tim Heidecker. Oh, oh yeah. we got to talk about that. Talk the about Tim Heidecker. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, oh, Tim is like amazing. He's such a madman in the best possible. Oh, for sure. I, would, I would think so. And so, and it's like, it's a super dark comedy. Also has a, a crime subplot. In it. Cool. And, uh, and so, uh, so yeah, this is the first time. So, you know, I wrote this script after Flower, you know, was made. And, uh, and I thought, well, hey, you know, I want to try my hand at this directing thing. And, uh, of course, I wanted to direct for a long time, and it's, you know, but this seemed to be a good opportunity to to do it because you know the film didn't have a huge budget, so there wasn't some inordinate amount of pressure, you know, like so. Mm-hmm. 
um, so I always like the idea of sort of working up to things and I'm like, God, it'd be like a nightmare to be doing some giant thing. And also nobody I'm sure would have given me much money. Um, cause the first time around, you know, it's right. be tough. So, um, this, and it seemed feasible too. I was like, okay, a handful of characters, like yeah. pretty solid. And, um, I figured if, if I got good actors on board, then, uh, you know, a lot of my work would be done. And that, that was actually the case too. I mean, the, the cast was great. So it's like, sometimes, yeah, it was. yeah, it's like put the camera on them and, and let them do their thing. And, you know, it works out. So did you ever consider Tim Heidecker for the Mr. Handy role? Oh, did, it, did it cross your mind? No, so, Tim, it was funny. Tim, it was, it was weird. It was a weird moment because Tim ends up in Jordan Peele's All right. Yeah. Us where, um, he's he's pretty good, pretty great, and has a a good role. But no, I did I didn't. I started like Tim's almost too clean cut and, and youthful. I needed someone who's <laughs> was like there's, he's a more buoyant um, personality, I think. And so I needed someone a little a little darker than that. Um, and he's that. pretty dark in that movie. The comedy the comedy might be oh, the darkest movie yeah. I've ever seen. I think that movie oh, yeah like comedy. floated around with within my psyche for the for months. Comedy. The comedy is amazing. Well, I met, I had met Tim. I worked on um, the last season of Eastbound and Down. No I saw that. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah, cool. I met Tim. That was fun. We shot it in Wilmington, North Carolina. I was, I was on the set. I was like one of the on-set writers, you know, just punching it up and coming amazing. up. Amazing. So, and Tim was great. So we kind of hit it off back then. I mean, he's just so funny and it's just, very, I guess his sense of humor matches with mine, you know, so it's absurd, the humor of the absurd. So, um, so then when Flower came around and he was in it, that was exciting. Um, but yeah, that was what I think that was the first thing I sort of, uh, one of the first things I wrote and, you know, worked on writing was Eastbound and Down, which is a great, such a fun show. I mean, Danny McBride is amazing in, in what he does, so. Yeah, that's so awesome. Devin, do you have um do you have some film questions? I have some outside of film questions. Yeah, I was actually going to let you uh, go ahead and, and knock out some of the film questions uh, before we will go ahead and wrap things up here in a little bit. And I want to be able to learn about maybe things coming up with Alex. But yeah, go ahead and, and get your questions out there. Okay. Um. So uh, I see that or I saw that you you've written four novels, it seems like. Yeah, that's right. That's how I started was writing novels like sort of like horror thriller um i was living in north carolina and uh and i wanted to make films but you know i didn't quite know how to get into it at that point and uh i mean this is a few it's probably like 15 years ago mm -hmm. so i was like i started off writing like young adult novels and one of them um was optioned by paramount and then i wow. sort of used that i used that to claw my way out to uh california wow and that's so cool and of course, you know, they never made the movie. It never happened. <laughs> like the instant I got out here and got an apartment was like the instant it all fell apart. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. But so, but that was the beginning of it. And then I wrote some more novels. And then I got into like, uh, you know, I was, st I was starting to adapt some of those and they would get optioned. And so um, from there, I started writing spec scripts and um, some were good and some were not so good. <laughs> um but luckily the good ones sort of cut through. Um, and yeah, that was, that's, the, that's the, that's the crazy journey. That's great. Do you, do you see yourself going back to novels at this point or are you, are you hooked on the screenplay now? I think the screenplay in movies is just more fun. I mean, writing a screenplay is a lot easier because they're short. 
And, yeah. uh, and then making a movie is a lot of fun too, because it's a bit more social, you know? Like, Absolutely collaborative. Yeah. And like, I love, I love writing, but you know, I, I spend so much time, especially in this past year in front of my computer. Right. Um, that it's kind of nice. I mean, it's kind of fun. It was very cold when we shot the movie, but other than it being freezing and raining on us, um, it was nice to kind of be outside, you know, with friends making this um, crazy little film. So I'm hoping to, you know, my hope is that I get to write and direct some more stuff, hopefully. Yeah, we hope so too. Well, I was going to ask a little bit about like, would this have been your first time like, like selling a film at a festival? Oh, well, I, yeah. I mean, as, as a director, yes. As a, um, you know, as a writer with Flower went to Tribeca. So we all went to Tribeca and it, it sold. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And we had a big, you know, party and lived it up. Um, and then um, this time around, um, Don't Tell a Soul got into Tribeca. And of course that was canceled because- Digital the, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they did some digital version, but we were kind of like, you know, screw it. Um, and then luckily we played at um, Deauville in France, the Deauville American film. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, we kind of got, that was great. And I mean, again, it's like if it weren't for the global pandemic, we would have been there for sure in France because that would be totally insane, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, so this, this was my first time going through the process as a director and we ended up having a digital screening that um, the UTA, the agency set up um, for us, which is nuts because like people get a link for like, you know, or I think we actually just show that have a movie and they have a link for like a few hours and yep. all these companies are watching it. So we're sitting there thinking, oh my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy. It's like a draft pick situation. Right? And you're just hoping to get a phone call basically after yeah, that. Yeah, and it's like, and we were, we were lucky in that a lot of people really dug it, but it was important. Um, for me, that at least it had the option of a of a theatrical element, and then yeah. all the platforms. Because I mean, it's an interesting time because so many things go only to one platform or become this big deal, um, you know. On uh, and I kind of like things that are, you know. I guess it's fun for me if it gets out into some theaters. Of course, then of course, obviously, what happened this year was not good for movie theaters, and so um, it played at a drive-in here in LA, which is fun. But, uh, but yeah, but I mean, I love, I mean, I, I'm optimistic about movie theaters and I love the theatrical, right. big movie nerd for that stuff. So I will always go to the movies if they're open and if they exist. Yeah, I think it's, it's very fortunate that we were, you were able to get it. Is it, is it a widespread theatrical release? Like, yeah, it ended up going to a hundred. At first it was going to be 20 theaters. And then we actually kind of got lucky because all these like bigger movies got pulled off. The schedule. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was like, it was that weird moment where the studios were like, oh, we're just going to sit on these till later, which kind of sucks because that screws the movie theaters over. Um, and then, but so, and then we had an opportunity to get in about a hundred theaters, which is around where it's still at, which Very is great. Cool. So, so it's playing like, you know, and it was important for me too that it play in some of the places I live because I have a lot of friends who are still in Texas and Ohio. So um, it, uh, it got to all those areas and yeah, it's still, it's still out there in the wild as we speak. And it's also obviously on like iTunes and yeah, Amazon and, and everywhere too. Yeah. I definitely want to iterate all of that. It's, it's actually, <clears throat> excuse me, as we're, t as we're talking here and I should be able to edit and release this episode really quickly. Uh, it's still playing in theaters here in Louisville, Kentucky in, in multiple theaters here. Um, but 
of course, if that's not your thing right now, which understandably that would that could be the case, that's definitely very accessible on any of these VLD platforms that we we're used to these days. Um, the best way to see it would be to rent the entire theater out at Baxter Avenue Theaters in Louisville and go there with three people and watch it. Right? You Devin? can do that. You can do that. That is a real thing. Our local theater, you can rent it out for like a hundred bucks and yeah, you can invite up to 20 to 30 people if you wanted to. There you go. Get your, get your pandemic bubble squad and uh, go watch the film and see the, see the 20 foot hole apparatus and the way it's meant to be seen on the big screen. <laughs> that is true. We did. It's funny because making it, you know, we shot it in like widescreen, anamorphic. So it, it is definitely meant to be a theatrical experience. So it is kind of funny, ironic that, you know, people, most people probably end up seeing it on like their laptop um, or TV, but, right. uh, but it's pretty cool in a theater. I saw it, um, you know, in a, a few times before it was released when we were working on it. Um, and it's the bigger the screen, you know, it's the, the more creepy and disturbing. Um, and we did a pretty loud, sound mix too so it's fun like i really love that experience like i can't um i'm looking i mean movie theaters have been closed here um you know in california where i am for like the bulk of the year so i'm really missing that right now yeah they're still open here uh here in fucking middle i know <laughs> right I mean, yeah i've <laughs> and saw it and keep they keep telling me what they're seeing in the theaters and i'm like fuck I can't. It's the wild west over here in Kentucky and Indiana. (laughs) We don't do shit, right? Make their own rules. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we really uh, wrap this up, Corey, do you got anything else? No, just wanted to say thanks, Alex. This was really cool. Um, Fun for me to watch. Devin gets to interview uh, filmmakers a lot, but I don't. So this is a treat for me. And I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, thank you, Corey. It was great to talk to you. I mean, thank you for uh, for having me on and being part of it. Well, we'll definitely have to do this more, Corey, um, when we see some more films out um, that we want to talk to the directors about. But for you, Alex, do you have anything coming up that you're allowed to talk about or any kind of plugs or anything you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, I'm working on a couple scripts right now. Like, um, me and Chris Mangana are hoping to get another movie up and running that is a, kind of a dark, dark thriller about a, a young woman who comes to Los Angeles to, to avenge the death of her father, who's killed by this killed by this guy and she ends up getting into a, a relationship with a guy so it's oh boy of, it's like a, a really dark wow psychodrama, um a lot tonally along the same lines of don't tell us there's a sure. few elements to it um and twists and then on the tv side i'm i'm trying to work up a show i've always been as you guys can probably tell always been fascinated by like um crimes and robbers yeah. and thieves and all that so i'm working on a on a show about bank robbers that I think could be pretty cool. Um, oh yeah, I love the I heist love, movie. I love, I love the first part of this movie called The Place Beyond the Pine. Yes. Oh Lord, I've part it. one of the triptych is like yeah. a perfect film. Part one yeah. is amazing, right? And I'm like, that. the film goes on some strange paths for sure. It really that, does. Yeah, that first part is incredible. And like that whole idea of just driving a motorcycle or a moped into a bank. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that actor too, what's his name? Um, is that Gosling? Is that right? Yes, no, not Gosling, but the, the other oh, guy. No, that, the... Yeah, of course. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, the guy who plays his like kind of mentor. Yes, yes, and he's in like, that new. Yeah, uh, man, what, is it? It's not Ralph Fiennes, but anyway, the that that character actor. Anytime I see him show up in something, I'm like, this is about to be 
Oh yeah, he's incredible from like Animal Kingdom and all kinds. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, to me, that's such a great, and it's so dark and the characters are so desperate and you understand where they're all coming from, but life is only getting worse and worse for all of them. And yeah. So, so I like that bleak vibe and I'm like, yeah, especially in, in our current era in this country, it's some desperation in there for sure. Mm -hmm. You're you're exploring a, a, a basically my favorite subgenre of the past 10 years. I think my favorite movie that I've seen in the past five years, maybe the past 10 years really is um, Hell or High Water. Oh, I love. Yeah, that's an amazing film. Yeah. Just, yeah. And I love that you're so fascinated with that kind of you're playing around with that subgenre. Just anything dark, gritty, crimey, anything um, Taylor Sheridan has written, like prisoners and things like that. I just I, I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys have to come up with next, to be honest. I really well, thank you. Yeah, I really love like Wind River. That was yes, yes, God bless. That's a, that's a grim one. That is a grim one. It's so, <laughs> so bleak and dark, but there's yes, a, so many things. It's such a, a well-made film on every level. But no, I mean, I think you guys are on the same. I think we're all in the same wavelength of of uh, what kinds of things we enjoy. It's definitely dark and gritty for sure. Yep. And uh, that's exactly why we like to watch Don't Tell a Soul and exactly why I'm going to recommend it again uh, in theaters now more than likely, um, but definitely accessible uh, in video on demand format. Uh, definitely uh, when we're going to keep an eye on you, Alex, and see what you got coming out in the next year or two, in the next few years. And, and hopefully we can get the three of us back together for another interview. Yeah. yeah and if you if you film it in Louisville, you have to agree to get a beer with us. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, a hundred percent. That's what I do. We got to do this in person. If I'm out there for sure, that'd be so much fun. We'll, we'll crack a few LAs too. If we, oh, <laughs> we got to crack a bunch of LAs. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess uh, we'll just go ahead and wrap it up here. Thanks again, Alex, man. That was a well, blast. Thank you so much guys. Have a great week and uh, yeah, take care. Hopefully Absolutely. I see you guys sometime soon. Yeah. We'll Let's keep in touch. All right. Stay, stay healthy. Take care.